square fielder. He's gone to the dogs. Welcome, friends, to the Gone to the Dogs podcast. Your host, Steve Fielder, here with you one more time. Thankfully, uh, I'm back in Florida now, back at home, sleeping in my own bed after a 17-day road trip that took uh, Miss Ella and me all the way up to New Jersey. Uh, if you count the District of Columbia, I, I guess you could consider that a state uh, of some sort. Uh Anyway, we uh, traveled through 10 states, uh, New Jersey, um, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Delaware, the District of Columbia, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. So we had a, a good little road trip, went up to visit daughter Susan and granddaughter Alyssa, who graduated from high school. That was the, the prime event that we went to attend um, went up and had hoped to do some fishing while I was up there. As you know, I like to fly fish for trout, and uh, there's a good river right there. They call it the Muskie. It, it's an Indian name, and I slaughter it, so we'll just call it the Muskie River. But uh, rained every day. We were up there. Water got up high. And then I contacted or tracted, which is the correct term, a sinus infection while I was up there. So if you hear some wheezing and sneezing, you don't know that's the reason. Hey, that kind of rhymed, didn't it? Man. Well, anyway, I, I do want to thank my good friends, Buddy Woodbury, uh, Jason Doobie, out at W Hunting Supply. Uh, they make this podcast possible. Without them, we wouldn't be able to come to you each week and sure do appreciate those folks. If you need anything related to your hounds or hound apparel, lights, books, uh, you name it, they got it. I mean, uh, but the main thing that they're known for is their customer service. They do service what they sell, and uh, they're great to work with you on any problems you might be having with your electronics or so forth. So you can find them at double U, the letter U, huntingsupply.com. Well, it's my happy privilege to bring a gentleman to the microphone today that I have not personally spoken with in this uh, kind of a format before. My friend Nubbin Moore, who you all know Nubbin, he's been on the podcast several times. He and I are kind of running buddies. I was just on the phone with him today. We're planning our trip to Autumn Oaks, which, believe it or not, will be coming up in a couple of months now. But um, he's been telling me about this guy uh, there in Alabama who is the president of the Alabama Coon Hunters Association. And he says he's uh, uh, got a lot of information, a lot of things to share, and uh uh, by golly, I gave him a call, and he said I I would be glad to do that, and I'm very proud to introduce to my audience at this time, Mr. Clint Chase from Gardendale, Alabama. How are you, Clint? I'm doing very well, Mr. Steve, and I appreciate you having me on. Well, it's my privilege. It always is. That's the thing about doing a podcast is the opportunity to talk to folks, and as I said on a podcast just last week with another Alabamian, uh, is it Bamian or ba- uh, Alabamian? How do you say that, Clint? Uh, I would say it Bamian, but 
you can say it however you need to. <laughs> okay. But I did get something cleared with this guy that I always have to get cleared up with. Anybody I talk to from Alabama, are they a University of Alabama fan or are they that other school over there on the east side called Auburn? And he let me know right away that he's a roll tide man. So. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, my buddy Nubbin is too. And my guest last week, uh, Lee McBride, he let uh, let me know that uh, there's, uh, uh, you know, uh, Bear Bryant is a very uh, special uh, entity in his uh, in his. Uh, Memories, and I think for a lot of people, especially if you love football and if you love Southeastern Conference football, who could forget that man in the houndstooth hat? And sure. uh, I told a little story about uh, missing the last game that ten- uh, Alabama played Tennessee in Nayland Stadium when Bear was coach. And uh, but anyway, we won't go into all that. But everybody knows there's a proud tradition of football in. Uh, in Alabama, and I find out, Clint, that you're very much involved in uh, football, or at least high school football there. Tell uh, tell my listeners just a little bit who you are, uh, you know, a little bit about what you do, where you come from, and then we'll get into all this coondog stuff. Yes, sir. Well, uh, I was born and raised here in Alabama, and um, I do coach high school football uh, at a private Christian school here in Gardendale called Tabernacle Christian. Um, I've been an assistant coach or coordinator since 2018 and uh, started as head coach in 2020, the COVID year. And I've been been doing that ever since and uh, absolutely love the opportunity to uh, be a positive influence to these young men and trying to continue their career and uh, play sports or whatever they want to do after high school. But it's a blessing. I also own uh, my own uh, landscape lawn service company, Chase Services, and uh, do that every day. And uh, I have a wife and, and three children. My oldest is Clint Jr. He graduated this past year, and he will go on to play college football at shorter university we're actually taking him monday to drop him off to start his college football career awesome awesome uh, i have a set of boy and girl twins that Mm. will be seniors in high school uh this next (laughs) year so we we stay extremely busy and amongst all that um our coon hunt so yeah when you say shorter university is that in shorter alabama no, sir. It's in okay. Rome, Georgia. Oh, it's in Rome, Georgia. I see. Yes, sir. Okay. I was privileged to be in Shorter, Alabama, one time on uh, with the Purina Award that we right. held in Montgomery, and it was sure. a gentleman named Ted Johnson. I don't know if you ever mm-hmm. met Ted and or Mister John Carter, who was one of the original drafters of the night hunt rules there in Alex City. Uh, those fellas got together and wrote the very first set of night hunt rules. Wow. And uh, Mr. Carter was on that with that group with Robert Graves and, and some others. And then his son-in-law, Ted Johnson, um, 
I, I met him and was uh, fortunate to spend a night in, in their home there in Shorter, Alabama, out in the country. It's a beautiful part of the part of the country. And uh, But anyway, it seems like any time I go to Alabama, I have a pretty good time. You know, I really enjoy it. Well, it's a good place to be raised, and uh, I've loved it, and it's where we call home. Well, sure, absolutely. Anywhere in the South for me. <laughs> yes, I was born in West Virginia, which is just barely under the Mason-Dixon line. <laughs> there you, you go. Know. Of course, the boys, they fought on the wrong side of <laughs> in that <laughs> war. Right. But, uh, but we've always been considered from the South. My mother was from West Virginia. My dad was from Tennessee. So, But uh, we love everybody across the country. We've made a lot of great friends all over the United States. And, uh, Absolutely. And... Uh, so it's just been this sport of coon hunting has been great for me. Tell me a little bit about your upbringing and how you got involved in this coonhound sport. Well, um, as a young boy, my father uh, coon hunted. Uh, my grandfather coon hunted. I never got to meet him. He passed away when my dad was 16. Uh, but I guess probably at three or four uh Dad started taking us against mother's will to the woods. <laughs> I, I've got a, a brother that's 17 months younger than I am, and um, he would take us. And uh, Dad just had great dogs, and it didn't matter what color they were or anything. He never stepped foot in a competition hunt, but he loved coon hunting. And, and I guess originally that's where uh, the love for the sport uh came in was mm -hmm. was at a young age but yeah. my my parents uh divorced my father was a uh, an alcoholic and had some problems mm. with their relationship and uh so they ended up divorcing and so for a long time i really didn't have um you know coon hunting was not there after they separated and um eventually uh where we went to church and moved to there was a a man there uh, by the name of Donnie Hall that lives in Vance, Alabama, that uh, I became friends with his youngest son, and they competition hunted, and I had never uh, done that before. And uh, Mr. Donnie, after going with them multiple times, uh, I, I just, you know, really wanted to do that. But, you know, of course, I was that age where I was wanting to date and have a girlfriend, so that complicated things so um and i got married at age 20 uh okay. i'll be married 23 years well, congratulations uh, this That's next great. february to to my wife and what we, is her um, name by the way her name is angie okay and uh we so i didn't coon hunt when we were dating you know it's one of those stories where uh you know i just didn't do it and she she knew that I would hunt or whatever, but um, because of my situation, I just was not able to do that at the time. And I was working two jobs and paying my way through uh, college at night and those things. Well, I was I, I was working and I was coming home one day and uh, I saw a saddleback black walker dog going down the road. And I had seen this dog multiple times on this uh road that i lived on 
and I, I watched him uh, go to this older lady's house. And, and so I drove up there and I was like, ma'am, is this your dog? I'm scared he's going to get hit or whatever. And she said, no, I think somebody dropped him off and would love for somebody to take him. Well, I couldn't get my hands on him, but I wanted him. Well, I drove down to the bridge and stopped and he was running after me and I dropped my tailgate and he jumped up in the truck and I went <laughs> home and I was like, Angie, look, I've, I've got this dog. I've got these friends from Tuscaloosa that competition hunt. Do you mind if I take this dog down there and see what he's all about? I didn't know, you know, what the dog was. Right. And uh, so I called Brian, my friend, and went down there. And this Walker dog ran every deer that he ever smelt uh, <laughs> every time we took him for the next two weeks. And I realized that. Well, that's not going to work out, and I ended up selling him to some deer hunters. But in in the midst of that, Brian said, "Look, uh, why don't you just start coming down here and hunting with us, and this, that, and other, and you can go to some hunts with me." Well, they had a um, a night champion black and tan coon hound. His name was uh, Dark Hollow Drum that they had purchased from Johnny and Bruce Gillum. He was right. a full litter mate brother to Dark Hollow Tag. Mm. Uh, out of Hobo's house, and yeah. uh, Mr. Donnie let me take him home, uh, and every time I would go to their house, of course, I would take him, and then on the weekends, I would go with Brian and spectate in a cast with him until I felt comfortable, which I can feel comfortable with things pretty quick. I'm not shy, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, and uh, so I was all pumped up and fired up about that. He was hunting a half brother to drum named Shane. And I said, I think I'm ready. And, uh, so, you know, to make a long story short, uh, I ended up making a uh, drum, a grand night champion. Oh, awesome. And, uh, the night he made grand was in Leeds, Alabama, where mm -hmm. I know, you know, Mr. Klein Dingler. Oh yeah. Uh, he and his dad were running that club and I made drum, a night champ, a grand night that night, and Mr. Donnie came in with uh, the plaques and all his certificates and papers, and he gave me that dog, which was a very mm. humbling experience to me, and uh, continued hunting drum, and uh, he died at an old age of 13 at my house, and uh, so that's where my original love for the black and tan coon hounds came in but was because yeah. you know a, a father figure gave me an opportunity and, and taught me a lot and mm. so i started doing that yeah. and uh, so that's where kind of my story begins as far as the competition side well i got you and that's a great story for sure when you mentioned leeds alabama of course it is not far from kind of across the mountain there from where nubbin lives in uh, right. Starrett. But uh, listeners may recognize that as the home of Charles Barkley, the, the basketball player. A few people have heard of him. Mm -hmm. And also there's a, a connection to Leeds, Alabama for me way back in my early days of coon hunting. There was a redbone dog in my part of the country that was quite well known. His name was Blakesley's Northern Chief. And I mentioned this dog in a podcast the other day, and I got a a, a message. And, and my goodness, my memory, I think I left it on the road the last couple of days. 
uh, gentleman, it'll, it'll come to me in a minute, uh, mentioned that he uh, uh, was familiar with the dog. But anyway, I'll cut to the chase. The fellow that had that dog in my neighborhood there back in West Virginia sold him to a guy named Jimmy Fisher, who was from Leeds, Alabama. And gotcha. it was a phenomenal price. I don't know if you ever heard of the dog and all. He was a red bone dog. And this would have been back probably in the early 70s. So, yeah. uh, but anyway, that was before that, my time. Yeah. But when I, I, and I can remember the ads that were run on that dog. Uh, and he sold for a four figure price that was quite large for dogs at that time. So wow. that was, that's what I remember about Leeds, Alabama. <laughs> well, that that's a great story, and you know it does, and that speaks to the brotherhood that we have here, a- and the ladies will excuse me for calling it that, but you know here in the sport of coon hunting, some of the greatest salt of the earth people that we come in contact with, you know, and uh, just right there through nubbing, you know, I've met so many good people. In the state of Alabama, you know, I think right away of Jamie Perrin and Trey Perrin that go out each year and hunt with us at White River and um, just a real good friend and a transplanted Yankee down there, Keith Durkey. Do you know Durkey? I absolutely know. Keith <laughs> loves him to death. Keith's a great guy. He really is. And uh, we we have a lot of fun with Keith, and especially those Mississippi boys like to get after him about the way he talks, being from Maine, you know. So. Absolutely. <laughs> but anyway, that just goes uh, for all over the country. For me, I've been so blessed to be able to travel in my job and meet so many people from so many different parts of the country. Um, I want to talk just a little bit before we get into the black dogs, and I want to dig down into those uh, for sure. But your work with the Alabama State Coon Hunters Association, you want to talk about that a little bit? Yes, sir. It's a privilege and an honor to to represent the hunters of the state of Alabama and and. I've, I've, this is my fourth year to be president, and I was not on the board or an officer before I was contacted by the former president. He was kind of discouraged at the time and, you know, was, you, you know, coon hunting is as far as the competition side of it has changed in the last 10 years just drastically. And uh, the Alabama State Coon Hunters Association typically in the past has been more of a UKC entity than Mm -hmm. anything else, but we're not tied to any affiliation uh, per se. You know, we we can host other events. And they contacted me with coaching and owning a business and being busy. When I accept some responsibility, I want to be sure that I can put plenty of effort uh, mm-hmm. in that so I, I i turned them down the first year and then the the next year it was like man i've i've got to get out of this and it, it, i'm kind of burnt out and so i accepted and and they voted me in and um uh, you know it was a a new error and and i have a lot of ideas and thoughts to continue the sport for the state and make it relevant 
uh, with the rest of the coon hunting. You know, our numbers had dropped and uh, we were doing things the old way. And I, I, I have a great board and uh, officers that are with us now and they have really bought into my theory on how to continue and their ideas as well, not just mine. I don't want to take credit for all of that because they have plenty of advice and, and great ideas and they work their tails off. And well, my idea of, of continuing the association was uh, I wanted to continue the relevance of the sport and make it new and fresh. And so we changed up some ideas and uh, came up with, you know, better prizes and, you know, the guys are getting away from the trophies and they're wanting money involved or, uh, you know, we, we hunt for trucks now, four wheelers, side by sides and things of that nature. And, uh, so we've taken it to a new level in the state and, uh, we've been paying, um, our winners and, and trying to go live on the final forecast and, um, you know, just making it more current. And uh, we've done things like uh, having uh, our booth at the uh, Deer Expo here in Birmingham and just making people aware of our sport. Um, I want to continue the growth of that in Alabama and, and have ideas of, of, of video and hunts, uh, doing interviews. These podcasts are great. Uh, you know, kind of like the, the the pro bass series do with those mm-hmm. uh, live things and all that. So, a lot of new ideas. We've gotten in touch with the PKC side and wanting to do joint uh, hunts. We have the uh, all of our youth, our past youth hunt was funded by hunters of the state. We paid for every single show entry and hunt entry with other hunters it was donated so every kid that came to our youth event did not have to pay a dime and that means a lot to me but in in the midst of all that you want to honor the past but stay relevant at the same time so you know sometimes it's a balancing act to make that happen but like i said I, i feel very privileged and honored to be a part of the association it means a lot to me because i have a lot of older friends that showed me the ropes and and i care deeply about and i, I tell people all the time I've, I've not had wonderful hounds that were world beaters and uh this that and the other but the one thing that i have all over this country are relationships and friendships that i have developed over the past 30 years uh, that I cherish very deeply, and uh, my relationships mean more to me than anything uh, in this sport, and and I just cherish it so much. Sure. Well, I I can concur with what you're saying uh, right down the line. You kind of uh, struck a a chord with me there when you mentioned about you know respecting the past or remembering the past, but then looking to the future. You know, when I was at UKC, we were things were really cranking in the Coonhound world. Uh, you know, we were having huge entries at events. I attended the Alabama State Championship one year in Clanton, Alabama. 
do you? I remember when it was at Clinton. Yeah, and we had a a big entry and a big event, and I'll always remember this, and I wish I could remember this gentleman's name. I had one of the nicest visits that I've ever had at a coon hunt with a, a an older African American gentleman. I cannot remember his name right now for sure. He was a nicely dressed fella. He liked the plot dogs, and I guess that was what struck a chord b- between us. But we we sat and talked for a long time that day, and I just thoroughly enjoyed that experience. And I thought, now this is a fella I'd like to live near, so I could hunt with him, you know, every day or every night. Just and that's just an, a, a small example of just the people that you meet out there. You know, Nubbin Moore, you know, was a fella that I first met at Autumn Oaks when he won the whole thing in the 25th anniversary with a black and tan, if you can imagine that, Clint. Absolutely. (laughs) And, you know, he and I became, he then became a field rep, and he and I became friends. And after I went to PKC, he was working in Memphis, and he came down to Aurora, Kentucky, and just to visit with me, you know, and, and, and that friendship has just been just golden, you know. Nubbin and I talk just about every day. But, oh, yeah, uh, yeah it, that those relationships are what it's all about. If we could just teach the, the newer generation, the newcomers and the, and the kids that are coming up, that those friendships that they build will last, uh, they'll be for a lifetime, uh, you know, and you have to take care of them and treat them like the most valuable thing in your life because – Besides the Lord and my family, those friends are my absolutely, uh, you know, my my high, greatest treasures. But, absolutely, uh, they, I, I, my closest friend that I hunt with now. Well, you know, go back to my original story, Brian, that I started hunting with with the black dogs when we were twenty seven. He passed away in a house fire, so mm. I lost him. And you know, I was the, his best man in his wedding and wow so that was a a tragic event and then Mm. fast forward 20 years later i had a friend two years ago that i coon hunted with every single night patrick ragsdale on the fourth of july two years ago uh was mowing by the river on one of those zero turns and he flipped over upside down in the river and passed away Uh, you know and, and so we buried him and my friend mm. now that I hunt with, Seth Burgett, he he was just in the $100,000 PKC mm. uh, Michael Moody memorial hunt uh, yeah. with his blue kick Bonnie female. Gets in the top 16. And, you know, all all these guys have been very close mm. friends to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, back to the competitive side of, of the state of Alabama, we're a very competitive group. Um we love where we come from, but if you realize, just for instance, the $100,000 hunt, we had five hounds from the state of Alabama that were in the top 16 That's amazing. Uh, in that hunt with Austin Gentry and Connor, Seth and Bonnie, Goob Taylor with Rock, uh, Ronnie Rowe Davis and Trip Duke with their deadbeat dog, and so many others, that, you know, Michael Ward uh, mm-hmm. from yeah. the state of Alabama, Trey Perrin, uh you know, David Haynes, John Harris, uh, you've got two men that owned 
the Roxanne female Bobby Talley and Patrick Stewart that won uh, the world hunt with that Roxanne female. It's mm -hmm. a very competitive mm -hmm. state. And I've always said that the, you know, every night we go to these night hunts, whether it be UKC, PKC, pro sport, what have you, uh, we have a very competitive state, and if you can win in the state of Alabama, in my opinion, you can win all over this mm -hmm. country. Well, you've proven that that's true. And, you know, that goes back. You know, I can reach back to history. Pride Gann, Gann's finisher, Bean Blossom Buck. You know, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of others. I know, Nubbin and I talk about Dr. Porter when he had his black and tans, and they were very competitive. Yep. And, and uh, well, you got Roger Gibson that hunted the famous Amos dog for Roger Shabel uh, there in the state of Alabama. And just just on and on. It, I'm kind of reminded of the NASCAR, you know, the Alabama gang, you know, back in the old sure. NASCAR days. And uh, but uh, the Allison brothers and and I, I guess what Neil Bonnet I think was part of that gang and uh, that's right and all but uh, but that's NASCAR and we're talking coon dogs so I better not go <laughs> yeah. down that <laughs> habit path that's something that to really change you talk about coon hunting absolutely but uh, in fact I guess that's on my mind I, I went through the town of Darlington South Carolina here a couple of days ago and went and drove right by the the big racetrack where the Southern 500s held for so right. many years and all. But all those Southern traditions just just are really important to me. But anyway, yeah, absolutely it's a competitive state, and football's not the only game in town. That's uh, right. You know, and uh, I, uh, I look back, and uh, I, I remember attending the – I mentioned before the Purina Award in Montgomery – and that was an award that we presented posthumously to uh, the, the Thompson fella, uh, Hardwood Buster Two, dog mm -hmm. that won it. Uh, uh, Rusty Thompson, wasn't it? Wasn't that his name? I, I believe. Do. I'm not aware. Yeah, but that's that's a little probably a little bit before your time. Thirty years gets away real quick. <laughs> sure, sure it does. I'll tell you, Clint. So. Uh, but, oh, that's great. That's great. Well, I know that uh, this sport is changing, and I have this conversation all the time. Uh, you know, I like to look back to the old days. We all do. The memories, you know, are, are so important. But we also have to remember, and my wife reminds me of this all the time. I talk about certain music on the radio or whatever. She says, now, Steve, you have to remember our parents didn't like our music when we were coming up either. Yeah. So, you know, all of those things change. Uh, but I hope they won't change too much. That we'll lose, right. uh, you know, lose sight of the. And while we're talking about competitiveness in Alabama, and I mentioned it before, hey, that is the birthplace of the night hunt competition rules that are essentially the same rules that we hunt under today. Yep. There's variations and different registries and tweaks and 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 changes, but. The, the main vehicle, the track it all runs on, is the same one that those boys put together there in Alexander City back there in the, in the uh, early uh, or late 40s, early 50s. So, right. 
tremendous heritage there for sure. All right. Well, let's talk about these you and the black and tan dog. I know you're involved. Have you held an office with the uh, American Black and Tan Coonhound Association? Or I have not. Uh, okay. I have a, I had attended uh, from 2005 until 2019. I had participated in all the black and tan days uh, and really enjoy that atmosphere. If you've never been, it is, it is a family oriented deal. You know, some people like, you know, maybe the PKC side, whatever, but the camaraderie and um, the love that the black and tan association has for their hounds to me is unmatched. And, um, they they're just really sweet people all over the country and they have you know just accepted me and helped me through the years not just here in alabama uh, but all over the country and you know i've owned uh, a couple of hounds with mr don igley from iowa and i know really Donnie well great uh, guy. I, I i love him to death respect him immensely and uh you know Back in the day, I worked for the railroad for 10 years, and I remember after Drum passed away, I was looking for a hound to hunt, and I really couldn't find. Drum was a quarter-strike hunter, typically by himself, had a coon a lot of times, but I, I'm more, I'm a sucker for a good tree dog. <laughs> and uh, Mr. Igley's stock of dogs, to me, from what I had seen, were extremely good striking dogs and uh they were fantastic tree dogs and mm -hmm. he told me about this hound uh named carl out of etowah's raging black bear and i was susie and uh sent him down at actually roger gibson mm -hmm. uh picked the dog up um at one of the larger hunts and brought him down here i went to mr gibson's house to pick him up fell in love with him, made him a night champion, had uh, an RQE with 60 dogs in Lolly, Alabama, came mm -hmm. in first, and I mm -hmm. was like, man, this mm -hmm. is, I have found a gold mine, you know. Yeah. Well, the next year in Chelsea at an RQE, um, Carl was winning the cast. I was judging, and uh, he went up a leaning tree, mm. uh, had located and fell out 40 foot oh. to the, the base of the, of the wood floor. And we went in there and uh, he was still alive. Uh, I picked him up. I withdrew and went to the emergency vet. And he had broke four ribs and punctured both of his lungs and had to be put down that night. And of course, oh, you know, I'm in my early 20s and mm. I'm loving this dog and I go back to Chelsea and Nubbins there. Uh, Jamie Perrin has already made it back, and I'm I've got my dog in the dog box wrapped up in a sheet, and I've been crying. And you know I've, I'm six foot two. Uh, back then I probably weighed around two eighty. Now I'm about three hundred. But anyways, <laughs> uh, I, I had cried my eyes out, and uh, so I was telling everybody bye, tell them telling them what had happened, and. So I walk out to the truck and Mr. Jamie Perrin comes out there and he had gotten a, his little female um, named Little Bit that was out of uh, Bad to the Bones Cane. Uh, she had come in fourth that night and he had gotten her qualified. 
And he said, here you go. And I said, what are you talking about? And he's got her on a leash. And he said, take her. And I said, no, sir, I'm fine. I, I had a younger dog at the house and I was going to start hunting him. And uh, he said, no, I want you to take her. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, I, he would not allow me to leave that <laughs> night. And he gave me the female, just gave her to me. And yeah. so, you know, it's just Doesn't a humbling surprise thing. me. And, and, and uh, just a great man. He, he, he's a wonderful person, has always been a great mentor to me. And uh, so we had a little bit and hunted her for a while. And, um, but I love hunting male dogs. And eventually we had bred her to a really nice dog and had a, a really nice litter and this, that, and the other. But it wasn't my cup of tea. And uh, ended up mm -hmm. calling Mr. Igley again. And uh, he told me about a dog named Willie. And uh, he was out of tug mm -hmm. and a slam uh, female, and uh, which goes back to the Gillum stuff. And ended up getting Willie and probably won more with that Willie dog than I have any other dog. Had a lot of fun with him. Um, uh, made him a grand night champion super fast. He was one of those dogs that, you know, finished with all first place wins. And it was back when UKC, you had to come in first in the night champion division to be oh, yeah. grand, mm -hmm. um, all that made him a PKC champion, won several thousand dollars with him, kept him in the top 16 in the breed in the state for several years. And all this so loved him to death bred a bunch of females to him this that and the other and now you called that dog what was his full name raging black willie okay and and i actually owned him with mr igley i see well you know when i talk to somebody that's passionate about their breed and you know for me it's been the plot breed down through the years and that was because of my father uh, you know, and he, he loved the breed from the get-go and got the first one, uh, registered one in 1954. Uh, so, you know, that was just ingrained in my family. But as I talk to other people about uh, their breed and all, I find that they're passionate about it. What is it about the black and tan that, that attracts you so much? Well, I, I love the look. To begin with, Drum was such a beautiful hound. He was a big old blocky-headed sucker, just like Tag. He was a very good-looking dog. Um, I loved their accuracy. Um, and and I guess it was a um, familiarity with competition hunting and the people that had uh, kind of given me a chance mm -hmm. and, and, and kind of brought me in. So I think that had kept me... Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a loyal person or try to be. And, uh, I felt like those people had given me opportunity after opportunity. And, uh, I just fell in love with them and, and was able to hunt with a lot of people that had, you know, Mr. Johnny Gillum, we would hunt with him and mm, Bruce and, yeah. and, and it was Great just, folks uh, right there too. just good people. And, oh, yeah. uh, you know, and I, I just enjoyed that. Um, oh, yeah. so much and and mm. I, I guess that's why I, I i stuck it out with them for so long well i know that feeling and of course being a black and tan man i know you've been to florida illinois 
Absolutely. <laughs> I've spent the night in Charlie Brown Park several, several times. <laughs> and I have as well, and not just when after I went to the UKC because we had plot days there several times over the yeah. years. In fact, they just had it there here uh, this past month. But I had that same kind of com- camaraderie with uh, with the plot people, you know. We'd go out and hunt in the night hunt and come back in and eat breakfast in the kitchen and go out and pleasure hunt for two or three hours, sometimes still daylight, <laughs> come dragging in and stand around and talk all the next day, you know. Right. But um, you, you get that feeling. It's more than just the dog. Um, yeah. And that's the thing. When I hear the stories uh, like I have from several people, you know, that went to the UKC Walker Days this year. And they lament how that Walker Days is nowhere near as big or as exciting or as much fun as it was back in the day. And mm-hmm. honestly, none of the breeding associations are what yeah. they once were, you know. But there is it is a changing time. The whole dynamic has changed. It used to be that people, the barns were full of stud dogs and banners and and all of that. You don't see much of that kind of thing anymore. Everything, all the news comes online now. And, uh, and also there are those changes, but there's still a lot of people that are excited about coon hunting. That, yeah. that love a good dog and love to go and love the experience of being out at night with a good hound and listening to the chase and all that goes along with it. While I'm on that subject, uh, Clint, uh, you know, back in the very earliest days, the black and tan was a very slow, meticulous mm-hmm. trailing dog. Right. Cold nose. They used to call them sky lookers. They'd mm-hmm. take two or three steps smell that track, throw their head way up toward the sky and let out a big mournful ball, and then they'd proceed on. And, you know, that has all changed in the black and tan breed. And, of course, it did several years ago. And I guess Hans Wagner, if you've read the history, is the guy that's probably most attributed to sure. bringing along the what we call the medium-eared black and tan. And, and, you know, the, the whole activity. As a track dog, what have you seen in the black and tan breed? Well, it, it, you know, it start, when I first started hunting, you would see a lot more uh, trailing type dogs and, and some that would get bogged down. And at times it would be very frustrating, but your uh, claim to fame, I guess you could say, was they were going to have it when you got there. Yeah. And, and it may take them forever to get there. Uh, but then, you know, as time rocked on, you started seeing uh, these dogs start turning. And I, I think the rules of the hunts and things over the years have, mm-hmm. have uh, you know, developed or adapt or changed the way we've bred and cultivated each breed. And uh, you started seeing a change where... I was telling you going, and I'm not knocking any other bloodlines or anybody's work that they have or hadn't done, but Mr. Igley, I just tend to like mm-hmm. that style of dog yeah. uh, better. And, uh, you know, and that's not the only breed that I've hunted. I've 
I, I still currently own a, a stud dog, a Grand Knight champion uh, uh, named Hoss, Hatchy River Hoss, <laughs> that uh, is out of Mark Jones's Lick Dog and Wendy, which is the number one female uh, reproducer <laughs> right now. And uh, really love Hoss. Hoss is one of his sons, is the last winning baby stakes champion, uh, one of a kind. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I'm proud mm -hmm. about that that uh, cross that we made. And uh, I hunted a dog named Knight for Jordan and Rayford Bethune in uh, Fort Payne, Alabama. Uh, I handled that dog for them, and he was out of Batman. Yeah. And uh, I ended up getting in the final four of the first legacy hunt that PKC ever hosted in Junction, Illinois, which was a huge mm -hmm. honor. I was able to... Mr. Rayford paid for me to go and allowed my two sons when they were little to go up there with me. We stayed in a hotel with night. We get in, in the uh, ProHound magazine. That was a big deal oh, for yeah. me and my kids, you know. Sure. And, uh, so uh, I really, uh, really liked that about it. He was that more, he'd get struck, get by himself. They were more, when I first started hunting, more pack dogs. Right. Um, then they were singled out, but you've seen over time where uh, some of the breed, some of these dogs would get over there by themselves and get treed. I hunt, had the opportunity. I went to the pro sport uh, truck hunt with a son off of my Willie dog that I call Flash and hunted the late round and ended up drawing uh, Jacob Jump that um, mm. is handling the deuce dog. And, um, Deuce will get by itself and get under raccoons. And, that, you know, it's nice to see some of these black dogs getting to compete at a high level. And you you take, uh, like, Mr. Chad McCoin, the good friend of mine, oh, yeah. with all the successes that Chad has had with the black and tan breed all over the country, not just in his little world up in Indiana, but everywhere. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, when I was with the AKC, that was my last uh, job. And uh, part of what I inherited there, we were bringing all these UKC Coonhound breeds into the AKC registry. Mm -hmm. And prior to, the, to that effort, the black and tan was really the only Coonhound uh, recognized by AKC. Right. Uh, in their confirmation rings or what people would commonly think about as Westminster Dog Show and that sort of right. thing. And, um, you know, so my job was to try to get out there and get as many of the uh, – really, I, I was commissioned to get all those breeds, you know, in to the registry. And so uh, along with that went the responsibility of educating – all of these AKC judges on what these dogs should look like, which dogs should be selected in the ring, you know. Right. And one of the things that I always told those judges at those seminars, and for a country boy, I kind of got a little bit of a trip going, you know, I'd go each year to, to Madison, uh, Madison Square Garden and put on a seminar you know, for these AKC show judges about coonhounds. And I thought that was a trip, you know, because here, you know, we were always considered to be from the wrong side of the tracks, you know. Sure. 
But anyway, I was told those judges, you know, they're uh, the the fancy out there or the composite group, uh, collect, uh, collective group of, of people that own these dogs are going to breed to the dogs that you put up in the show ring. In other words, the ones that you pick and they move to, you know, to the top. Those are going to be the dogs that will be bred to. So you got to be very careful in selecting, in selecting your winners and make sure that you're going by these standards and all when you do that, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, the same thing spills over to the competition world. You know, when you see the deep and lonely walker dog getting in there winning the big checks, well, right. if you love a black dog, you're going to have to get a, a dog that will do the same. Sure. Or or near about it, you know. And uh, and I guess just through breeding and training and all that goes with it, you know, if you love a black dog, you're going to ride a black horse in this race. You're going to have to get one that can compete, you know. Sure. And uh, so it's interesting to see that the black, that some of the black bre- uh, black dog breeders are doing just that, aren't they? Yes, sir. A lot of them are, and... You know, I'm an administrator on on a Facebook page called the Black Dog Mafia, and it's it's uh, you see all these breeders and hunters talking, and you know I'm sure with every breed there's fussing and bickering going oh, back yeah. and forth about this, that, Coon and the hunters, other. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, and it's it's uh, I I think it's a good thing, and it can be a very positive thing if breeders will work together and hunters will work together for a common goal. Um, but some of our goals are different and that's okay. You know, you've got people that just like to pleasure hunt and like a style of dog and that's good, fine and dandy. And I, but I like to win. I'm very competitive. And, um, for so many years, I tried to train and tried to uh, do as much as I could with the black dogs. And because I, all those older men would tell me these stories and of, of winning and, you know, Bruce had all these accomplishments. Yeah, oh, yeah. Take people like that. I like that me, rascal, that. don't you? I love him to death. He's a, he's a great guy. <laughs> I always have a good time when I'm around Bruce. We always he's a lot of that. stories, always a lot of laughs. And he's had some good ones, that's for sure. He really has, and his dad is a, a legend in my mind. Oh, yeah. Johnny's, Johnny's top drawer. He's old school. You know, he's, uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, you just take all those people, and you want to win for them, kind of, uh, mm-hmm. per se. You know, I, I want to make that successful and, and make those guys proud. Um, but I've, here lately, I've, Changed it up a little bit. I still own. Well, I wonder if you were going to fess up to what I've been hearing about. Oh, yeah. I I don't hide anything. I'm an open (laughs) book. And and, uh, I I have a good friend uh, that lives up in Hamilton, Austin Gentry, that hunts a dog named Connor McGregor. And uh, he hunts for the wolves out in Texas. Our, uh, Our listeners might remember him as winning the second. Tournament of Champions. That's right, and and so what a great hound! And I've been able to pleasure hunt with him and competed against him, and so we stayed with each other up at the uh, Pro Sport uh, 
truck hunt that we the the hunter appreciation hunt mm-hmm. which the black kudos Widow to hunt. pro sport i think they've got a fantastic thing going yeah and um enjoyed that immensely being up there but uh got to talking to to austin a little bit and knew that connor had a brother um and got very interested and i, I like a good looking dog and mm-hmm. uh as far as the walkers it kind of goes back to my original story when i first got married that her dog that ran the deer was a, a saddleback uh black all the way down his back and a good looking head on him and all that well he's got a brother uh willie's little pet uh and i found out about him and found out that mr roger shable owns him mm-hmm. and uh there was a man uh that was handling him uh up north and i i called mr shable and i was like look uh, I, I had some people check around on if he could be bought and he could be bought but this old boy would never be able to afford it and with a family and all that there's just no way that i could pay that price for him and uh, so i called mr shable and i was like look i live right here in your back door and uh mm-hmm. I, I i know a lot of people and um I, I like to think that I'm a trustworthy guy. And if you're ever looking for a handler, uh, just let me know. And and he wasn't interested. He was looking for a buyer. So I just let it rock on, you know. And uh, I just said to myself, Lord, if, if you want me to that dog, just make it happen. But I'll be able to afford him. Well, my buddies were up there at the $100,000 hunt. Uh, Mr. Goob Taylor called me and he said, are you sitting down? And I was doing a landscaping job and I was thinking they're fixing to tell me that one of the dogs has passed away. You know, my buddy Seth is up there with Bonnie and, uh, Seth is right beside him. And I said, what's going on? And he said, uh, just got off the phone, Mr. Roger Shable. He wants you to call him. Well, Seth likes to mess with me all the time. And I was like, <laughs> I'm not calling Mr. Shable. Y'all are trying to make me look like a fool. And I didn't believe him. And Seth got on the phone and said, Clint, you need to call him. We're serious. So, you know, I'm shaking at this point. And uh, I called him and he said uh, that he had talked to multiple people about me. And he feels like it was a good fit and asked me if I wanted to handle Peck. And I think he calls him Paycheck, but his paper name is Peck. And Mm -hmm. uh, I told him yes. And they ended up bringing him down to me from the $100,000 hunt. And uh, I've been hunting him for 10 weeks now. Absolutely love the dog. Okay, we uh, got a little break in the phone there. You said you've been handling for two weeks now? I've been hunting him for, uh, for two, two weeks okay. now. And uh, Mr. Shable and I are going to talk. PT told me to hunt him and see how I liked him. And if, if I liked him, we would work something out. And if not, we would find something else. But I'm really liking him. Uh, good. I, and so I'm, I'm enjoying him. Super smart hound. Love the mouth. And uh, he's batting a thousand right now. So that's always a plus. Oh, absolutely. Well, there's no question that the Willie, Rackham Willie dog is a producer. He, absolutely. I think it was at the tournament of champions. So correct me if I'm wrong here. I know you're up on this a lot better than I am, but it seemed to me like what it was about six or seven dogs out of Willie that were up there in that, in that. The, toward the finals there of the tournament yes sir mm-hmm. and, and i there was a young lady that won at the youth nationals with a dog out of willie 
and uh, so he's mm. really doing well. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. And uh, won the AKC and the UKC World Championship. That's not right. too shabby, for sure. Right. Well, that's that's great. That's just great to know. Well, what what's the temperature? Well, that's a poor choice of words right now. I know it's hot in Alabama right now. If it's it anything is. like Florida, but what's the temperature of the coon hunting sport in the state of Alabama right now? Do you think what's 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 the overall uh, attitude from the guy that, that's looking looking from the top floor? Down? I think it's fantastic. I, I in my opinion. There's not a better time to be a coon hunter. And, uh, you know, a, a non-coon hunter or people that don't understand the sport, they don't have a clue where we are now. But the opportunities that are in front of us and available to us now um, are incredible. Um, and I know coming from a poor family and, and uh, you know, trying to be – financially stable and having to work all the time and it can become some of these hunts are a little costly and uh, this that and other so uh, that aspect of it is changing a little bit but there's ways around those things so i understand on on one side where that temperature is as far as uh, some people's concern but uh if we're going to go forward if we're going to compete worldwide and 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 be not worldwide for our sport um i think it's important for us to have an open mind and grow and i think that alabama uh has been relevant and for whatever reason throughout the years just like you said the the rules started here in the state and i hope that we continue to grow uh in the state and and go with the times instead of, of staying where we were you know 40 50 60 years ago and can continue this because I wanted to see it grow and grow and grow uh, well past where it is now. But I think the temperature is, is, is great here. And I, I think that is evident when you see the state of Alabama compete all over the country in these larger hunts as good as we do. Well, you certainly made that point very well with the the, the showing that these Alabama dogs are doing are, – are, uh, putting forth out there, <clears throat> you know, if we could just um, convince the coon hunter out there that just because a certain type of dog or just because of a, a certain breed of dog or this may not be our own personal cup of tea, that we need to get behind our fellow hunters we need to be supportive of them. If they hunt a different brand of dog, so what? They probably drive a different brand of pickup than we do. Sure. Their wife might be blonde and ours may be brunette, whatever. We are all different. We all have our own likes and preferences and all. But this is our sport. And I've said this so many times, you know, among the, the hunting population of, of the citizens of the United States is a small fraction of the overall population. And then among all those hunters, coon hunters are a very small portion of that. I mean, yeah, our sport is big and it's vast and it's all over the country, but still we're few in numbers, relatively speaking. We have to join together. 
we have to be supportive of each other. You know, it it, <laughs> it used to just make me shake my head when guys in a club won't be welcoming, won't be friendly, won't be encouraging to new members coming in. And then they want to have a hunt, and they com- complain about the low numbers. Well, Absolutely. I can't make any money hunting my dog because I didn't have any dogs. Well, did you welcome those hunters in? Jamie Perrin is a guy, guy who uses the expression a lot, pot builders. He said, we're just a you know, we're just building the pot, <laughs> you know, over yeah. here, which Jamie's usually packing a pretty good coon dog. Yes. Uh, but uh, anyway, I know I'm rambling a little bit, Clint, but, you know, that, that's that been a, a message that, that's been near and dear to my heart forever is get behind your fellow coon hunters. Support each other. You know, uh, if you get beat, shake your hand. There'll be another hunt probably tomorrow night, the way the hunts are today. Let's be uh, one for all and all for one. You know what I'm saying? Is that old-fashioned? Absolutely. No, sir. That's that's just a life lesson to all of us. And I tell my football players all the time, you know, it's real easy to be a winner. It it doesn't take any character uh, to win all the time and be successful. Your character shows up when you lose. Yeah. Uh, how do you handle that situation? How are you going to be better? What are you going to do next week with your hound, with your attitude, with with what you're doing to mm-hmm. make your situation better for yeah. yourself? Yeah. And, and I think we, we're fighting against society right now. And, uh, you know, with everything changing the way that it is uh, with this new generation coming up, uh, we fight with that anyways. Uh, Right. But, you know, as long as there are men out there that are willing to do the right thing, take young ones under their wing, help them grow in the sport, treat them right and respectful. And I'm not saying just give them whatever, but make them work for it. Teach them sure. the ropes and, and do the right thing. I think that our sport will continue to grow. Uh, but it's it's about these young generations coming up what are we going to do with them how how passionate are we to fight for our sport when it comes to us losing land uh Mm -hmm. you know hunting spots and situations like that are we going to the legislative branch and and fighting for our rights and if if you don't know how to do that there are people in every state that can help you figure that out and get there for sure and uh you know, represent our sport in a respectful way to legislation to make those things uh, happen. And uh, I just encourage everybody listening to just hang in there, uh, treat people right, do the right thing, and uh, continue to do what we love to continue the sport. Words very, very well spoken, Clint. Hey, you have been a fantastic guest uh, for our program here. I'm so glad that Nubbin suggested I give you a call. Uh, I just can't get around to everybody, it seems, you know. Uh, and I don't. I know I'm not going to last forever, <laughs> but I do like to bring the people on that have something to say, and you're certainly one of those. And uh, I, I'm uh, really... Um, 
enjoying the fact that you're involved in, in sports. That's a great opportunity, as you say, to lead young people, to steer them in the right direction. Sports, especially football, it seems, is such a great character-building uh, sport as we teach team as you teach teamwork and and as you say lessons of life you know uh, we're going to have some bat- battles we're going to have some disappointments uh, when we go out there tonight and and uh, been worked all hard uh, hard all week to get that dog ready and he just doesn't look good uh, you know we don't look for shortcuts to try to win when we're getting out coon dogged. You know, right. all those things. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I don't want to preach to the young people. I want right. to lead. I want to try to encourage. I want to try to tell them that, you know, it, it is not all about the winning. You know, I, my book is called Gone to the Dogs, A Coon Hunter's Journey. It's a journey. Uh, you know, we say the the longest trip begins, you know, with the first step. I look, my journey began just like yours when I was about three years old going coon hunting with my dad, you know, and who knew that I was going to be able to have a career that involved coon hunting, something that I loved, you know, from the first time I ever went to it. And it is possible, but not everybody can work at a registry. Not everybody can handle a dog to win a $100,000 hunt, but they can Get a nice dog, enjoy that dog, enjoy training that dog, enjoy those nights in the woods under the stars. Old Nubbin's a pretty good astronomer. You know, he's teaching yeah, right. me all where. Uh, now you see the the Milky Way there, and you see this and and uh, and that, you know. So, uh, but anyway, those are the kind of things that will really mean something down the road when you get to be an old guy like me looking back sure. on and it. You know. I, I would like to say one more thing before you close, Mr. Fielder. You talk about the journey and 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 living this life of coon hunting and, and it started when I was three with my dad and we talked about how uh he was an alcoholic, abusive uh to my mother and and they were separated and so there was a lot of bitterness as a young man for myself. Sure. And my mother uh, continued to raise my brother and I in church. And I found a relationship with the Lord. And when I became 18 years old, I wanted to know who my father was that I never got to be around. And But there was a lot of hurt and bitterness and confusion still in my life. But I was searching for that relationship. Uh, coon hunting has done that for me over and over and over again. And my dad has been, uh, he passed away over 18 years ago, Hmm. but, uh, I got to know my father at 18 years old, started by coon hunting again. We started that relationship building again, hunted Hmm. for several years together. And my dad, one night, uh, we get back to the truck and, he used to smoke cigarettes and he was winded and he sat down and he said, son, there's something about you that's different. And I said, daddy, it's not me. It's the Lord. And he said, well, whatever it is, son, I want to know how mm. to get that. Mm. And I said, well, dad, i tell you what, we can do it right here. So on the back of a coon hunter's truck, we sat on that tailgate and I was able to pray with my father. 
Awesome. And he he was saved that night and uh, found out within two weeks that he had uh, stage four lung cancer. Mm. They gave him six months to live. He died in three. But I was able to Thank get you. that relationship with my father and mm. know that one day I'll see him again. Uh, and it all revolved around a hound and a relationship in the woods. And I appreciate this sport so much and every opportunity that I've been given over the years. Well, extremely well said, and we always want that message to carry through on these podcasts. Clint, and thank you so much for sharing that, because it's a lot bigger than just the sport of coon hunting, but can be a vehicle to bring people into your lives and help you to be uh, an influence on somebody else's life. You never really know. You know, I used to say when I'm stood at the microphone, and whether it was at the Tennis Center in Aurora, Kentucky, or it was in, in the Coleman Center at Autumn Oaks in Richmond, Indiana, or whatever, and looked out across that sea of, of faces, how many people there were hurting that had issues, that had things, you know. Maybe they got a phone call, you know, that day that they need to come home, that so-and-so, you know, has been in an accident, whatever. Hurts come, you know, in all kinds of different ways. But there is an answer, you know, and the answer is the Lord, and he's the one that that can solve and, and heal and, and mend relationships and, and whatever the case may be. And I don't get generally preachy on this podcast, um, yes, sir. but I don't either want to ever be ashamed of the fact that I, I'm born again, that my faith is in, in Jesus Christ, and he is my strength, and uh, he's let me. He's kept me safe through millions of miles of travel over seventy six years, and yes. uh, you know he he can do the same for you out there, guys. Uh, I know you didn't may not have thought you were going to church when you dialed up this <laughs> podcast tonight, but or today. But anyway, thank you so much, uh, Clint, for sharing that with us. And yes, uh, words very well spoken. Well, we'll look forward to hearing big things of you and this, uh, what do you call him, Willie? What, oh, this uh, Walker Peck. dog? Uh, His name is Peck. Peck, that's right, Peck. Peck's bad boy we used to hear when I was a kid. I don't know where that came from, but that was <laughs> Well, it's been delightful to talk to you, uh, Clint, today. And uh uh, thanks again to my friend Nubbin for suggesting that I call you, and uh, I appreciate the, your time that you've spent. We'll be airing this podcast on the coming Monday. Um, let's see, we're recording here kind of late this week, just just after the 4th of July. So I don't know, do you know what next Monday is, Clint? It's the 10th. Okay, this will be on the Hound Podcast, DU Hunting Supply Network there. And the link is podcast.dusupply.com. And just look for the episodes that say Gone to the Dogs. This one will say Gone to the Dogs with Clint Chase. And that'll be on on uh, Monday, uh, July the 10th. Okay, folks, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. If somebody asks you where the fat old coon hunter Steve Fielder What's he doing these days? Just tell him he's down there in 
in Alabama, gone to the dogs. 